Good morning once again. Welcome to Clemson Prez. My name is Brian Counts. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to thank you all again for joining us this morning. If you would turn with me to Galatians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 14 this morning. We're moving through the book of Galatians. As we've said, it's a book mostly about freedom, mainly about freedom. And not freedom for self, but freedom from self. Not freedom to do what we want, but freedom to be who we were made to be, which is in the image of a holy and righteous and loving God. Last week, we really honed in on that idea about being free. Paul's writing this letter to those who said, you have to be circumcised in order to be accepted by God. You have to follow not just that, but all the Old Testament law. And so Paul brought along a Greek friend, a Gentile friend, who was not circumcised, right to headquarters, to Jerusalem. And he said, does Titus have to be circumcised to be a Christian? And Peter, James, and John, the three pillars of the apostles, the closest in a ring with Jesus, said no. And they shook Paul's hand, and they said, Paul, you have the gospel. We have the gospel. We'll go to the Jews. You go to the Gentiles. And off they went. We are free then, we've seen, not just from the Old Testament law to build our righteousness, but we're free from every other way to build your self-worth and your validity. We're constantly on that treadmill, whether it's trying to obey God or whether it's just trying to build up our own resume and reputation and self-worth and validity and all these sorts of ways. And God comes and says, I give you it all. You can have it. You're free from that achieve-fail paradigm. That was so far. This week, what I want to do as we look at these verses is take all of that and say, in every area of our life, how do we stay in step with that truth? How do we stay in step with the gospel, as Paul's going to put it here? So let's read Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Paul says, But when Cephas, that is Peter, came to Antioch, which was a city north of Jerusalem, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we are here only by your grace. We've been able to worship you so far only by your grace. You have called us to worship you. Father, we have attempted in our faltering ways to respond, to give you the praise and the glory that you're due. Father, we have confessed our sins. We've heard the assurance of pardon. We've had a moment Lord, to give and to hear your word through song. And now as we hear your word now just read and then also as we seek to meditate on it together, Father, would you continue to be the kind of God that you've always been and that you love to be and be a God of grace. Open up our eyes to our own hearts. Open up our hearts to you that we may receive your truth and be changed by it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years back, I heard a story, and you've probably heard stories like this. You remember it. You heard that it was a true story, but you didn't write down where it came from. I have a story like that for you. I think this is a true story. It sounds like a true story, but if it's not, it'll make my point. 
which is all I really need. There were two cities, maybe it was two neighborhoods within the same city. The first city had a severe homeless problem. And if you've been in a city with a growing or severe homeless problem, you know there's a crime part that comes along with that, a growing crime rate. This first city had both, a homeless problem and a crime problem. The next city, the one next to it, did not. Though it was next door to this city with a homeless problem, this second one had no such thing. Its homeless population was very minimal, and therefore the crime also was lower as well. And the city I just came from that I recently lived in had a growing homeless problem. And what it did, if you've ever been in a place like that, it serves to curtail the freedom of everybody else. And that's not to put value statements on that, that's just how it goes because there's a crime problem that goes with it. And so you find yourself, if you're going out with kids, not not going to certain neighborhoods or not going to certain parts of town to shop, maybe where you used to be, or you can't go use the park with your kids like you would have wanted to. So that first city, the one with the homeless and crime problem, felt and experienced a decline of freedom, whereas people in the second city seemed to have more freedom to move about, to not be worried about where they could or should go with their kids or where they could or should go and do business or things like that. And so since these two cities or neighborhoods are right next to each other, it gives a perfect opportunity to say why. Why does one city seem to have less homelessness and crime and more freedom, and the second have more homelessness and crime and less freedom? Perhaps the people of the second city are more generous. Maybe they're more merciful. Maybe they're more responsible. Maybe they have better government policies. What could it be that has led to less crime and more freedom? And so they dug into it a little bit, and the results were surprising. The second city that appeared to be more free actually wasn't because their lack of crime and homelessness was because they were under the protection of organized crime. And the mob, in exchange for the payment of extortion they were receiving from all these businesses, was not about to let those businesses not operate. You see, the mob was doing their part. How kind of them. But was the second city really more free? No, not at all. It looked better. Some things might have worked better, but it wasn't free. It was under the protection of a mob, of organized crime, of the mafia. And the reason I tell you that is because that has everything to do with what Paul's saying in Galatians. He's saying, look, you can turn your back on the gospel by trying to add to it, by trying to help people be more obedient and be better people in order to get God's smile and the smile of others. But it's not freedom. It's like having a cleaned up city based on organized crime. That's how legalism works. It's like the mob in your life. You might look and say, wow, that person, their lives are changed. They are a nice person. They're honest. They're giving. They're conscientious. They're a family person, a family man, a family woman. All that's great. But if done in order to get God's smile or the smile of others, that person is not free. They're under slavery. It's like the mob cleaning a city up. It's really in the end of no value whatsoever. We said a few weeks ago that you can find a lot of areas of application for this book of Galatians by keeping that question in mind. What do you feel you have to do or to be in order to get God's smile or the smile of others? This morning, we're really going to talk about trying to earn that smile from other people and how that keeps us in bondage and how it's against the good news of the gospel. And what we're going to see this morning is that good news has to be worked out in all parts of our life. 
all parts of our life, our thinking, our feeling, our doing, have to be brought in step with the gospel. So let's kind of guide our time together with just two questions, two main points. First, how do we get out of step with the gospel? And second, how can we get in step? So first, how do we get out of step with the gospel? And I think what Paul said there in verse 14, when he turns to Peter and he says, your conduct is not in step with the truth of the gospel, I think that's the heart of this little section of Galatians. What does it mean to be out of step with the gospel? Well, we just said it, didn't we? Any part of our life, any part of our thinking, any part of our feeling, any part of our behavior and our actions that is inconsistent with the good news of free grace for sinners is out of step with the gospel. We've seen so far, and we say this every week, and may we always say it, the gospel is a set of truth claims. The truth that there is a God, and he is holy, and he has made us, and he has given us a standard to live up to, and we have failed and are failing and will fail at that standard. And we'd rightly then deserve his wrath and displeasure, his punishment. But he sent his son. He sent Jesus Christ as, as God, as a man, to live in our place, to live a perfect life, to love God, love man perfectly. And by dying on the cross, he paid the penalty our sins deserve, And by faith, and faith alone, not by works, we get his perfect record of righteousness. And the gospel, as a set of truth claims, then also says that gives you unspeakable worth. It gives you unspeakable value. It gives you an unspeakable and unassailable identity that because you didn't have to earn it, can't be challenged. It gives you enormous security because you didn't have to earn it to get it. And so you can't lose it by your actions either. And so when Paul comes to Peter in verse 14, it's like an apostolic smackdown between the apostle Paul and the apostle Peter. Paul looks at Peter, one of the inner three, and says, you're not in line with the gospel. You've forgotten something, Peter. I mean, imagine if Steve or Matthew stood up in church one day and said, Brian, (laughs) you're out of line with the gospel. It would be tense. It would be awkward. And I hope they would if I needed it. And I wonder if it was a little tense and awkward in the church in Antioch as Paul, one of the apostles, then turns to Peter, one of the apostles, and says, you're out of step with the gospel. How in the world was Peter out of step with the gospel? What's going on? Well, we've seen in the previous section, Paul and Peter had the same message of grace. They had the same gospel. They shook hands on it. They've agreed it's not by works. You don't have to add to it. You don't have to be circumcised or keep the law or do anything else. The gospel is free. That Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. If you try to add something to it, you lose everything. And that doesn't just have to be the Old Testament law. It can be anything else that we try to add to it. Some men had snuck in behind Paul in these churches in Galatians and tried to say Paul's not a real apostle. He hasn't really followed what the apostles in Jerusalem said. And so Paul's defending himself, and he's giving this long story in the back half of chapter 1 and all the way now through chapter 2 of how, hey, look, I got this message of grace from God himself. And you might say it doesn't match the other apostles, but I went and checked in Jerusalem. It matches. We all have the same message. And so now he comes, and he has to oppose Peter. Whereas in the very last section... He and Peter are on the same page. And now three verses later, Paul's saying, I had to oppose Peter to his face. What happened to Peter? What happened to Peter? Well, if we go back all the way and we look at Acts chapter 10 and 11, 
what we see is Peter had forgotten something. In Acts chapter 10 and 11, Peter has a vision. Peter has a vision. He's, he's waiting there in a house to eat dinner, it says. He's hungry. And while he's waiting for the food to be made, he has this vision. And in the vision, a sheet comes down from heaven. And in this sheet are all kinds of, it says, animals and reptiles and birds. Some of which, according to the Old Testament law, I suppose were able to be eaten, considered clean. Some of which we know were not. Because as the sheet comes down with all these animals and reptiles and birds, there's a voice that comes to Peter in his vision, and it says, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, No, Lord, I have never eaten anything that's unclean. And then just to make the point, God repeats the vision two times more. The sheet comes down, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. And just then, some Gentiles unclean people show up. Hey, knock, knock, knock. Hey, Peter, uh, we have several folks waiting to hear the gospel. They're Roman soldiers, they're Gentiles, and they're ready. God told them in a vision, you were coming. Now, Peter's a Jew. He's not supposed to associate with unclean Gentiles, but he's just had this vision three times, and so he says, I think I got the point. He goes to these Gentiles, these unclean men who he's never been around before, and he says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person unclean. Peter shares the gospel. The Holy Spirit comes down. They receive the Holy Spirit. Peter baptizes them. Gentiles, unclean. He goes back to Jerusalem, and the good old circumcision party says, who do you think you are, Peter? You can't just go associating with unclean people. And Peter says, look, I had this vision. I went. The gospel came. It went. The Spirit came down. I baptized them, and they all praised God. That's Peter. He had a vision. Not only that, he was with Jesus three years, and Jesus associated with Gentiles. In Galatians 2, we saw he brought Titus. He didn't make Titus be circumcised. Why is he now backtracking? Why is he now backtracking and saying, these men had to be circumcised. Well, he's out of step with the gospel in at least a few ways. One, he's refusing to eat with the Gentiles. The gospel says no matter who you are or what you've done, you can be a first-class Christian. A first-class Christian is not built upon actions. It's not built upon who you are, your race, your tribe, your background, or anything else. A first-class Christian, as Phil Riken puts it, is only made by faith. That's what makes a first-class Christian, nothing else. And Peter is saying, hey, listen, you Gentiles in this church in Antioch, you might be Christians, but you're kind of second-class. We first-class Christians are going to go over here and have our meal. Can you imagine in one church, one of the pastors like, I'm not going to eat with y'all. One of the apostles saying, I'm not going to eat with some of you until you get your act together. Until you Gentiles become circumcised, I'm not even going to share a meal with you. And that's what Peter is doing. I'm going to go over here with the first-class Christians who are circumcised. He's denying the gospel. By refusing to eat, he's saying there's another standard besides faith and faith alone. He's out of step with the gospel. Do you see that? It's very, very clear. He's out of step with the gospel. But I think his, his, his out-of-stepness, if we can call it that, goes a little bit deeper. Because it says in verse 12, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. He feared these men that had come from Jerusalem and said, 
you have to be circumcised. In other words, his out of stepness was nothing more than good old fashioned people pleasing. Good old fashioned people pleasing. The gospel that Peter had agreed on with Paul and that he even preached and was changed by was you don't need to do anything to get God's smile or approval. But where it's out of step is now he's saying, okay, God, I might have your smile and approval, but that really doesn't matter. All that matters is getting the smile and approval of this circumcision party. And do you see how that's out of step? God, thanks. Thanks a lot. But really what matters is the smile and approval of people. So you see, we need the message of Galatians where we feel we have to do or be something to get somebody else's smile. Peter's back in prison now. He's fearing the circumcision party. What he should have said is, I don't need your approval. I've got God's. I have God's approval, not based on anything I do, but on his grace alone. But instead, he was out of step with the gospel, and he drew back fearing the circumcision party. And yet, I think his out of stepness goes still a little bit deeper than just people-pleasing. I think it probably went to the level of pride and fear. And if you think about pride and you think about fear, it doesn't seem like those two things really go together at first, does it? But it's interesting when you start to think about it, they always travel together. Pride and fear always travel together and reinforce each other. You see, the Judaizers, and in this case, Peter, were motivated by pride. They were going to show God and show others their level of commitment, their self-reliant effort. What they were doing was based on pride. Conversely, they were also motivated by fear. They feared losing God's approval. They feared losing the approval of man. They had this deep place of insecurity that they were trying to make up for. And so being out of step with the gospel always springs from pride and fear. And then listen to this. It leads to more pride and fear. Because pride says, I can do more. And fear says, Am I doing enough? And around and around the pride and fear go, building and building and building. So Peter's out of step by refusing to eat with Gentiles, by the people-pleasing that motivated it, and by the pride and fear that gave rise to the people-pleasing, which gave rise to the not eating with Gentiles. That's how Peter was out of step with the gospel. How do we get out of step with the gospel? How do we get out of step with the gospel? Well, we said some last week, we said anytime we feel that to get God's approval, to be in good standing with him, we have to be more, we've added to the gospel. That's where we get out of step. We said that last week. That, that unending treadmill of saying, I have to be more joyous. I have to be more studious. I have to be more knowledgeable. I have to be more prayerful. I have to be more committed. I have to be more. All those things are good. But when we say to get God's approval and smile, I have to do them, We've added to the gospel. We're out of step with the gospel. We've forgotten that what Paul says in Romans 5.2, through Jesus we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We stand in his grace. We can look right in his face. Maybe that's you. I continue to come back to that throughout this series on Galatians and ask myself that. I ask you that. Where are you saying, I have to be more, I have to do more in order to get good standing with God. We can be out of step with the gospel there. What about being out of step with people-pleasing? I've got a hunch Peter's not the only person in human history to have struggled with this idol of people-pleasing. Does that describe us? Many of us flirt with a feeling of worthlessness without the approval of someone else. It could be a friend or a parent, a child, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, somebody. We think 
without that person's approval, I'm nothing. I'm worthless. And we think maybe what we're doing is motivated by love for that person, but it actually winds up being just the opposite. And we can't really love that person because we're bound to having to have their approval. We're having to have their uh, smile come our way. We've prioritized that person over God. God may approve and God may smile, but I don't need that. I need that person. They've got to give me what I need. Maybe that's you. Maybe there's someone whose approval matters too much to you. We can be out of step with the gospel there. I think we can come right up to the line and maybe cross it of being out of step with the gospel when we make our preferences in church moral absolutes. This happens all the time in churches. When we come right up to the line of saying, my preferences are moral absolutes. Now, the Bible says there's some ways of doing worship, outreach, fellowship, etc., that are unbiblical. Of course, we don't want to do those, but within what God allows, there can be lots of rooms to work that out, lots of room for preference. I knew a man one time who said, I'm going to leave a church because they don't do the Lord's Prayer every week. Now, I like the Lord's Prayer. I just did a series on the Lord's Prayer. But when you say you have to do it every week or I divide fellowship over this, you've made a preference an absolute. You can do it with Man, I really liked one church I went to that had like a time of reflection before the service, and if you don't do that, you don't take worship seriously. Well, you can still take worship seriously but not do a time of reflection before the service, but you've made a preference an absolute, and you're right up there at the line of being out of step with the gospel. So where have you made your preferences in church, whatever that might be, a moral absolute, a non-negotiable? We can be out of step with the gospel. We can be out of step with the gospel when cultural factors become too important. For instance, think about this carefully. Who do you feel more at home with? Do you feel more at home with someone who is like you in every single way? They're from where you're from. They like what you like. They cheer for who you cheer for. They vote for your party. They see the problems in the world the same way. They're just like you, except they're not a Christian. Or do you feel more at home with someone who is a Christian, but different than you in every single possible way? They're from a different part of the world. They see things differently. They vote for someone else, whatever it might be. Who do you have more rapport with? And I think, of course, to some degree, we would all say, well, I'm probably more at home with people who are like me as opposed to brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're coming right up to that line of being out of step with the gospel. Perhaps Peter was letting those cultural factors become too important to him. You know, he was raised in a Jewish context. He was, enjoyed eating Jewish food. He enjoyed being with Jewish people who saw the world like he did. And now maybe he's pulling back to some degree because of these cultural factors. We can also be out of step with the gospel when we seek to base our identity or our worth on anything but the gospel, on anything. This was really at the bottom of what Peter was doing. He was basing his value, his worth on something else besides the gospel, and he was out of step. We get out of step when we do that too. We can base our value, our identity on the, on the party we're a part of, or the fan base we're a part of, or the group, or the class, or whatever it might be. We can build it on all these things. It could even be, as we know from our own history too often, race. Racism is just an attempt to make yourself clean and superior to someone else. Racism at its root for a Christian is a gospel issue. What makes you clean and acceptable and significant and valuable? Of course it's not race. 
but we build too often on those things. Perhaps that was in play for Peter as well. All his life he'd been taught Gentiles are unclean. Perhaps that was a piece of what was going on there as well. Where do you find your value? Where do you find your worth? Could it be an accomplishment or family and your abilities? Just in the fact that you're a helpful person? Building your identity and worth on anything but the gospel leads us to being out of step with the gospel. So you and I are out of step with the gospel in any place where our thinking, our feeling, or our actions are inconsistent with the glorious message of God's free grace, no matter who you are or what you've done. So now, secondly, and importantly, how do we get in step with the gospel? Well, it's really interesting what Paul didn't do to get Peter back in step with the gospel. He didn't say, Peter, stop it. You're wrong. You're sinning. Get back in line. Paul didn't say that. And he didn't appeal to Peter's pride or his fear. Too often in churches, the way we try to get people back in line is through motivation of pride and fear. He didn't say, hey, Peter, listen, you're an apostle. I appeal to your pride. You can't be doing this. And he didn't go to his fear. Hey, you can't be this wrong in front of all these people. Is that how you motivate your kids? Is that how you motivate your spouse? Is that how you motivate yourself based on pride and fear? Because you might get a better surface result, but that pride and fear are still out of step with the gospel. So in trying to get someone back in line, we're still out of step with the gospel. It was Peter's fear and pride that got him into this. And to have motivated him by fear and pride would have left him like that second city, still enslaved and not really free. So what did Paul do? Well, he says you're out of step with the gospel. And in even saying that, he's reminding Peter that, hey, Peter, remember, you denied Jesus three times. You said you wouldn't, but you did. Do you remember the gospel, Peter? Do you remember that even though you are a terrible sinner, Christ died for you, you're out of step with the gospel. Do you remember, Peter, that it doesn't matter who you are? Do you remember Jesus ate with Gentiles? Do you remember Jesus gave you that vision and sent you to the Gentiles? Do you remember? It's not about who you are or what you do. You don't have to bring your resume of activity to God. You don't have to be someone who presents your ancestral card to him. You don't have to be from the right tribe. Paul, in saying you're out of step with the gospel, undercuts Peter's pride and his fear. He cuts his pride and fear off at the knees. And he says it's not about either one of those Remember the gospel. Tim Keller says it this way. Paul did not threaten Peter with the absence of God's favor, but he appealed to the presence of God's favor. You're out of step with the gospel. Peter, remember the presence of God's favor. Even though you're not eating with Gentiles, the way back is clear. God has his arms open wide to you. And so we need the same. We need the same. You might be thinking, I know this. I did a Bible study on Galatians. I've heard the gospel, whatever. But listen to this. If a church that was planted by the apostle Paul fell into this, then there's a fair shot we might too. Because this church has had great pastors in its history, but none that lived up to the apostle Paul. And if a church he started could fall into that, we might need it too. If the apostle Peter fell into it, we might need it too. We might not be free from falling into this trap. So how do we need the same? Well, when we add anything to the gospel, all that be more, do more, good stuff, 
We need to hear again the good news. We need to worship God again for the good news. We need to repent of all of that, being more, doing more, and turn back again to the gospel and the gospel alone. Where are you on that exhausting treadmill of performance? There's a way off. You don't have to stay there. You can enjoy the smile of God for nothing else than to know that Jesus' blood has been shed for you. What about when we people please? How do we appeal to the presence of God's favor to get back in step? We remember we don't need the approval of someone else if we have God's approval. We magnify Him. We magnify what He's done. We magnify His work in our lives, in the church's life, for all of these things. When we let cultural factors become too important, what do we do? We put those things in light of eternity. We go through the lens of God's grace for outcasts like us, and we say, hey, those cultural things might be good things. One cultural thing for you, you love the smell of bacon. A cultural thing for Peter, he did not. (laughs) That did not smell good to him. But it's just a cultural thing at this point. That's all that that matters, right? And when we put all of our eggs in the basket of the gospel, those cultural things get demoted. They might still be good, we might still enjoy them, but they don't matter as much for acceptance and fellowship with other people. What about when a church might get a hold of that? Imagine the kind of welcoming environment it could have for all kinds of people. People from here, not from here, young, old, new Christians, old Christians. It could become an incredible place of welcome for all kinds of people to hear the gospel. What about those places where we try to build self-worth on anything but the gospel? How do we get back in step? All those voices in our hearts and in the world that say, earn it. We go back again to magnifying God, worshiping Him for buying for us this incredible identity and giving it to us freely, repenting again, moving out from there to bring all of our thinking, our feeling, and our actions in line with the glorious truth of the gospel. In the first sermon on Galatians, we saw the gospel's worth getting worked up about. You remember Paul was worked up about his opponents and how they were denying the gospel? I think in this one, Paul is saying it's worth working it out. It's worth getting worked up about, and the gospel's worth working out in all these parts of our life, bringing everything in step with the gospel so that no part of our life is left in bondage, so that all the slavery is removed, so that real freedom happens, not to do what we want, but to enjoy God, to be who He made us to be, and to follow Him. Let's pray. Father, as we choked earlier, these things are worth getting jazzed about. These things are worth worshiping you for. These things are worth singing about. These things are worth studying. These things are worth celebrating. These things are worth saying to one another. They're worth repeating to ourselves over and over again. Lord, would you keep us, we pray, from forgetting the glorious truth of the gospel. Would you help us take it to every area where we're still in bondage, where we're out of step with it, all of our thinking, all of our feeling, all of our doing, Lord, we pray that you would set us free, that you would let us be individuals and a church who magnifies the gospel of grace for outcasts, for sinners like us, so that it might go out from us to this place, to this city, to all the world. For your glory, for your honor, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.